1: nothing to investigate unless you have evidence i'm trying to get to the truth hi this is gordon hayden presenter of hooked on redemption the new podcast series which delves into virgin media television's exciting new drama Is that collecting cunningham we needed to come to dublin to identify a body Redemption centres on D.I. Colette Cunningham, whose no-nonsense approach to policing has earned her the respect of her Merseyside police colleagues. She seems unflappable until she gets a call to work with the Gardaí in Dublin and investigate the death of her long-lost daughter. Hello?
0: You only met the kids for the first time a few weeks ago. Who are you? I'm your grandmother.
1: You are very welcome to Hooked on Redemption. Coming up, we'll be doing a deep dive into episode one with journalist Serena Blissimo. Plus, we'll be taking you behind the scenes of the series with first AD Gail Munley. But first, let's recap episode one of Redemption. Paula Malcolmson, she stars as Liverpool-based D.I. Colette Cunningham, who uproots to Dublin when she learns that her estranged daughter, Stacey, has taken her own life. Now, once there, Colette meets her two estranged grandchildren and she also finds out that Stacey made her their guardian in her will she's determined to be right by her daughter in her death so Colette joins the Gardie while caring for the children however not everything about Stacy's life is what it seems and Colette sets out to uncover the truth I recently attended the premiere screening of Redemption in the Lighthouse Cinema in Dublin and spoke to the very talented Paula Malcolmson I wanted to find out more about her character Colette Cunningham on one side she's revered by her colleagues but then on the other her family life is in disarray. I started off by asking Paula to give us her take on the character of D.I. Colette Cunningham.
0: Well, I think when we first see her, you know, she's just, she's in the middle of a stakeout, then she's uh, collared, one of the bad guys. We see her interrogating him. She cracks the case by coercion. You know, she's very convincing and persuasive and she gets a lot of information out of people so she's at the top she's a detective inspector in, in serious crime so that's not you know she's 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 made her way up the ranks clearly yeah and that day is happens to be she's about to celebrate this crack in this case it's her birthday and then she gets this phone call and the, then we see what her personal life has been and how she's sort of, I think, compartmentalized. You know, she's become very successful professionally, yet there's this kind of, I think there's been sort of a casket for this woman's feelings, you know? And a lot of uh, regret and, and uh, sadness over her, her daughter, who she hasn't seen for 20 years. She left home when she was 17. Cut all contact. So you know nothing of her life? Nothing. I tried looking for her. I went out of my mind looking for her. And the whole time she was right here in Dublin,
1: that whole side of it, where has this girl been? What has happened to her? In terms of the, the shoot for this, because there's some really heavy emotional scenes, Like, what are you like on those particular days, Paula, like preparing for those scenes? Is it a real case of, I need a bit of time here now? Or how do you kind of find your way into a scene like that?
0: There, so the scenes, the, the, those emotional scenes are sort of my favorite scenes because it's what helps you, I think... Our first day of shooting was the scene that she finds out that her daughter, it's her daughter, and and, and they start to talk about, she, she has questions for the Dublin police and what's happened here. And we start to see her shift from a grieving mother into a detective, um, but that was beautiful because it was all those pieces together and that was our first day and I love starting it's like it's it's better to die on the first day you know because then you've got it over with and it's sort of it also lets everybody know this is how serious we're gonna be about this kind of work and this is where we want to this is the level we want to you know pitch this at so it's really nice for everybody to get a sense of that instead of doing little interstitial scenes for you know a, a few days and it gets everybody on their toes and, and really galvanized and excited about the project together, which is lovely, you know. And for me, I'm just used to that stuff. That's kind of what I do, so I like it, you know. Unfortunately, I didn't get to know the adult Stacy became. The Stacy that you all knew. I didn't get to share the life that she built in Dublin with Cara and Liam and you her friends. So I just wanna thank you for providing her with that love and friendship and for giving her a home.
1: When you're working with, say, a director like, say, John Hayes, with television, the schedule is even tighter than, say, a film. So, in terms of scenes, like, sorry, takes, I should say, do you kind of talk in advance? i going to go, I think I can hit this out in maybe three. I don't want to be going into like David Fincher or Kubrick territory now where we're hitting 40, 50 takes here just so that you eventually get that little moment. Like, I'm going to give it everything i got here, but it's only going to be out in four or five takes. Do you mind me asking about that process um, in terms of how you like to approach that?
0: Well, I think, and you know, unless you are David Fincher. You're doing two and three takes, if you're lucky. You know, we don't have time. Um, there's an awful lot of other departments that need to, so I have to know exactly what I'm going to do. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to be happy with it. And John, working with John Hayes, by the way, was a complete dream, because he's such a magnificent director. He's such a masterful director. So we were always on the same page. There was never, a, I mean, we'd, if, if John was happy I was happy you know if, if I was happy John was happy with performance you know and, and, and we knew what we were doing and we worked fast
1: and finally finally I found when I was lucky enough to read scripts God, months ago now for the series I just felt that maybe we could see more of her more of Colette Cunningham. Granted, this series has an arc and it has an ending, but for her, I thought there could be more. I don't know if this would would enter your mind in terms of trying to do more, or if the, if the offer was there.
0: I really love playing this character. Um, I think, yeah, there's always, you know, you could always say there could be more. I think this resolution here it really is a teal of redemption yeah there's lots more I mean it's a great character was the thing that attracted me she's a really great character so yeah I'd love to do more
1: Paula Malcolmson it's been lovely talking to you wish you all the best at redemption thanks for your time
0: you're very welcome thank you lovely to see you
1: there's nothing to investigate unless you have evidence
0: you are too close to this you know you are I'm trying to get to the truth Stacey made me there, guardian. They're my kids. I can't begin to imagine how hard this is for you.
2: What's going to happen to us?
0: We're family. I'm not
3: going to leave you.
1: Now, on Hooked On Redemption, I am joined by Serena Bellissimo, broadcaster, entertainment journalist. It's great to be in your company, as always, Serena, to go through episode one of Redemption. Paula Malcolmson, we we heard from her there, talking all things D.I. Collette Cunningham. And it's one of those roles. It is a superb role, Serena. So let's kind of chart through episode one, really kind of delve deeper into the episode. Because when we see D.I. Collette Cunningham, straight away, you know, she's a hardened cop. She's very well experienced. But... It turns out that even though she has this incredible professional life revered by her colleagues, her personal life is all over the place. Well, when it comes
3: to shows like this, Gordon, isn't that always the case? That, you know, if the lead is really invested in their job and they're amazing at their job, there's something going on in their personal life that they're not telling anyone about, including themselves. They end up being in denial about what's going on. And I have to say, she is fantastic. If she didn't work, this whole series wouldn't work. Do you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I also thought it was inspired piece of casting by yeah. Louise Kiley when it came to Paula Malcolmson, because I was fortunate enough to read the scripts in advance of no Redemption way. airing. Yeah, I was very looking up and I got a chance to read them. When you're kind of flicking through the pages, you're thinking, who could play that role? And there's so many that you names you could think of, but then when you see Paula, she brings everything to us.
3: She does. And you will be looking at her going, she has one of those faces where you go, I know her, but mm. I don't know where I know her from. And for me, I was looking at her going, where is it? For you? She has an amazing CV. But the one that jumps out for me, she played Katniss's mum. In the Hunger Games.
1: That's right. She did. And she was in Deadwood as well, which is a, remember that fantastic HBO series? Yeah. She nails the Liverpudlian accent. Amazing. incredible. And she gets this phone call soon after concluding a case. She's celebrating her birthday, but she gets horrendous news, Serena.
3: She does. And at at the start, though, she's not really sure. It's a phone call from Dublin saying to her, there's this person. um, And she's like, why are you calling me? I don't know who you're talking about. And then I was going to say spoiler alert, but if you're here listening to us, you want to dissect this with us, right? So obviously there's a lot of spoilers straight in here. She finds out that this is a daughter that she hasn't seen for is it about 17 years. Like it's it's over a decade. And she realises that her daughter had not only run away to Dublin, she'd had a whole life there, changed her name, and unfortunately she died. And now the police investigating that are going, hmm, is it a straight, you know, death or is there more to it? And as mm. this, as the episode goes on, we're realising there's a lot more to this death than meets the, the eye. There's a lot more to her daughter than meets the eye as well.
1: Absolutely, because Colette pretty much just said, listen, if you want to leave, just leave. And yeah. her daughter left the, the home at like 17 and then moved over to Dublin and just started up this whole new life for herself and became a qualified nurse. The Gardaí I believe that she took her own life. But as the story sort of unfolds in episode one, there is a part of you that's thinking, could that be the case? Even Colette, you can just feel there's like a tinge of just suspicion there. Like, oh, hmm, I wonder. Because from talking to her grandchildren, which we'll get to in a sec, it seems very out of character for their mother to go through with wanting to take her own life because she had an awful lot to live for. She adored yeah. her children. She seemed like she was in a decent relationship. Granted, now she's not with the, the the father of the children. She's in a new relationship. Mo Dunford plays the boyfriend in question.
3: Can we go there for a sec? Because I was watching. We're going to fast forward to the end, and then we're going to come back to the start because at the end of the episode deals with her funeral. Now, Mo Dunford, if you're looking, if you're a fan of his, you're watching, going, "We're easy, we're Don't see him, don't see him." You see, there's more to meet than meets the eye in this as well, Gordon. Because Mo Dunford, you just see him getting up and leaving the funeral service.
1: That's right, yeah. And you kind of go, he plays the character of Owen. And you think now, why has he got up? Like it, it seems like he's—is he making a statement here, or because he doesn't look like an emotional wreck? It's it almost his face. Looks as if I've had enough of this I'm getting yeah. out of here
3: See I think what's going to happen You've read the script So you know I haven't read the scripts mm. right So I reckon what's going to happen Is we're going to see That it's not just the daughter That has all these secret lives Because when we meet the grandkids as well Colette had no idea She had two no, grandkids None a, a boy and a girl Liam is the boy And he is hes so open Into accepting her into the life But the daughter Cara Seems to have taken on Some of the mum's pain and agony and he's like Yeah I, I don't know about you but as The episode went on I was there going I don't know about you Kara. I think you're hiding something too So I think Liam is quite Dough eyed and innocent But I think Kara knows more Than she's letting on Did your mum ever
0: mention me?
2: Yeah sometimes Said you were a Police detective or something Yeah
0: no she said you threw her out of home when she was 17. She said that you were really strict. Said you wouldn't let her do anything. And she said that she was glad the day you threw her out because she couldn't breathe living under your roof.
1: She never said. Yes, she
0: did, Liam. She said it to me.
1: It's such an incredible cast, like Cara's played by Abby Fitz, Um, Evan O'Connor plays Liam and even Cara's boyfriend, Liam makes the point that they're always fighting with each other and he looks a bit rough around the edges, Cara's boyfriend. You're kind of thinking, why is she with him? Is there something going on there too that might eventually play itself out a little later in this episode? Because it seems like that's been signposted. Yeah. That, that relationship with the boyfriend. And that's kind of left on the hook. So we'll see how that transpires. But really, for Clet, we should point out as well, though, she's gotten this horrible news, but she's then called in a favor from her chief of police in order to be in Dublin. And she's given six months away. From Liverpool and she's going to use that six months essentially to try and help her grandchildren get everything as rock solid as possible, deal with the funeral arrangements and also be there for her grandchildren and then try and figure out what the next move will be. But while she's based in Dublin, now, she never says this, but as the audience, you're kind of wondering, is she going to dig a little bit deeper into the death she is. of her daughter? Of because, course she is because she does keep asking questions of the detective who's been looking after the case of her daughter's death. Patrick Fannin, who's played by the great actor Keith McAerline. And you probably best know from the likes of Bachelor's Walk. And she does brought him the odd time about that. She's kind of in the background working away. Oh, yeah. We well, all know that she's
3: definitely going to be investigating that, even though her boss said to her, you're here. She, the boss isn't happy with her at all because they've basically had a pay freeze because they've had to take her, her on and supplement her wages. Um, and she said to her, you're starting from the bottom. Now, I have to say, if you're watching this and you see her boss appear on screen, it's Sister Michael from Dairy Girls. It's Siobhan McSweeney. But wow, she is fab- like, could you get a more different character to Sister Michael in, in Dairy Girls? She's amazing in this. And I have to say, my favorite character in this is played by Tadia Graham. She plays the officer, the detective that is showing Colette around Siobhan. And she's just, everyone else is giving her a hard time. But Siobhan sort of wants to welcome her into the fold and even says sort of like, come out for drinks with us. It'll get easier. I don't know. This being redemption, I, I have a feeling it's not going to get easier. I think it's going to get harder before it does get easier, Gordon.
1: And that's what I love about the the uh, this episode, that it's setting up a lot. There's a lot of interesting stories at play because we obviously have Colette Cunningham. The death of her daughter relocating to Dublin, trying to connect with the grandchildren as best she can. There's still things that are not adding up about her daughter's death. For her, you kind of think, well, I wasn't for my daughter in life. I want to be for her in death. And you kind of feel like that's where this series looks like it's going.
3: Completely. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into it as well. Like there's a drug storyline going on as well. You know, when she goes into the house where there is the foster mother looking after all these children, she said, look, half of them are in half of the kids' parents are in jail. And that one girl whose dad is in jail and she flew the drone into the jail. I have a feeling that that's going to link into what's happened with the daughter or am I reading too much into this Gordon?
1: Well, finally, finally, yet yeah, there is that other aspect of the story as well, Serena, that Colette's daughter was essentially suspended from her job because drugs went missing from yeah. the hospital. Why would her daughter have taken these drugs? What was the impetus for that? Did somebody put her up to taking those drugs? Again, very out of character for her to do that. So like an onion, there's an awful lot of layers to be peeled and You're left on a cliffhanger and it all then sets up things nicely for episode two.
3: I can't wait. I really actually can't wait to see episode two because, as you said, there's so many layers to this. And I'm sure it's going to be really smartly all put together. And we're going to sit there going, how did we not see that one coming?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Serena, I'm looking forward to spending the next few weeks with you as we cast our eye over redemption. That is Our take on Episode 1. Episode 2 airs next week. Looking forward to discussing it with you. Serena Bellismo. thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Gordo. There's nothing to investigate unless you have evidence.
0: I'm trying to get to the truth.
1: Still to come on Hooked on Redemption will be going behind the scenes on the series with First AD Gail Munley. But first, here's a quick break.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Is that Colette Cunningham.
1: We need you to come to Dublin to identify a body.
0: I haven't seen my daughter for 20 years. She left home when she was 17. Hello? You only met the kids for the first time a few weeks ago. Grandmother. It must be a big adjustment. Yeah. Liam's doing a little bit better than Kara. She said that you were as good as dead to her. I meant for you.
1: Now I'm delighted to be joined by First Assistant Director Gail Munley. Gail, it's a pleasure to have you on Hooked on Redemption. And this part of the podcast, we really like to kind of pull back the curtain and get a good sense of the production process. So, first and foremost, First assistant director, for those that would be unaware of this uh, job title, can you just give someone what it entails?
2: So I think it's probably the best way to describe the role of the first AD, our first assistant director, as you said, is you're kind of really the right hand person for the director to sort of coordinate the crew on set. So once we're up and filming, I would basically be sort of coordinating the crew on behalf of the director prior to shoot dates. And in our prep time, it's sort of my job to take the scripts. Um, and then break them down scene by scene and make up what they call the the schedule that we'll work to as a whole unit. Um, So within that, I have a a particular program that I'd use and I'd go through every scene. And in in my program, I'll put in what casts are involved, what props are required, what action vehicles are required, what background are required. So it gives a whole breakdown for all the crew to see. So it's a working document. Once we start filming, that becomes a little bit of a Bible for all the departments, whether it's locations art departments, so everyone can make a workflow sort of uh, calendars on, on how the production will proceed.
1: I remember years ago seeing the documentary Lost in La Mancha, all about Terry Gilliam's ill-fated Don Quixote project. Now, granted, <laughs> he did eventually get it made, but my heart went out to the first AD on that set yeah. because he was a broken man by the end of it, because everything that could go wrong went, went wrong. wrong. And I think he ended up getting the blame even for storms, like the poor. And like he was like, Yeah, was not responsible for the storm, but like because the set got trashed. Yeah. Can I ask you about that level of pressure, though, when it comes to things that might feel out of your control on a day?
2: Yeah. I mean, if that could be the location you're in, the environment, as you say, the weather. Um, so, again, obviously, in the instances where weather may be an issue and if if by script you needed to be a particularly sunny day in the story, what you would do is you'd set your schedule that you have an alternative set of work that will be called your weather cover scenes. Uh-huh. So if, you know, there's other days where it starts raining, we just keep going because, you know, we don't want to be calling weather cover and if, if that throws the schedule into you starting to to get into a chase in your tail slightly, even though you can have it organized as a weather cover. So generally with weather scenarios, you, if you have something that's very specifically weather bound, you'll then have a backup plan and then obviously the 48 hours and 24 hours leading into that, you'll start going, oh, this isn't looking like goer, so then you'd notify everyone say, look, it's looking more than likely, we'll make a call the night before, but it's looking likely we'll have to call Weather Cover, in which point you might go to interior scenes where you're all controlled and safe, but said environmentally you can be out in location, you're trying to control crowds of people, it could be traffic, there's all sorts of elements that are constantly coming at you, but again, I think as an industry and as a group of people whether it's the location department, the ADs all of that, you need to always be ready to to manoeuvre, change and sort of mould to what is happening around you in the environment and and then try, make a little plan and fix it and and carry on working. So we kind of just always try and keep going. Um, However, there's instances where you'll run into issues and again, some of them out of your control. And at the end of the day, you need to complete the schedule. So yes, the pressure is on because the clock is always ticking. and you just start time and a finish time and uh, production budget wise don't want to get into overtime. So, you, you know, you have timelines and I'll set my schedule whereby I'll mark out to the director. Let's say we're shooting five scenes, whatever the case may be. But I'll have said, you know, in an ideal world, we want to be on that scene from 8 till 10.30. We want to be on the next scene from 10.30 till it might be a short one till 11. Till 11 it's a quick two shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've done a whole timeline out and throughout the day between me, the director and the DOP, I'll be constantly sort of viewing that and going, guys, we're now, we're looking like we're now an hour behind. We need to make up. So a director on the day may suddenly decide, I'm going to actually cut my cloth a little in that scene and invest more time in the scene I'm in now because actually there's an emotional thing I want to, so I'm going to actually stay longer on this and and I'll actually reduce and make, simplify how I shoot the scene later on this afternoon. So you may, as you sort of, you're a little bit like a, you're constantly in an ebb and a flow and you'll you'll make it, but the the intention is you'll still wrap them with the correct time at the end of the day.
1: And and do you know what the thing is, people may forget just how long and arduous film shoots can be. So keeping those energy levels up as well, Gail, so much going on can be long, long, intense days. Yeah. And then to also to add COVID to the other extra level of pressure coming on to redemption in terms of all the paperwork that's required and all the process that goes involved with getting people in and out of set and what have you like that adds extra workload to your day what was that like for you?
2: Well it became again it's even just for leading in before we started shooting for with COVID, because again, we some of our casts were coming from the UK. So it ended up whereby to get somebody in just for a fitting, we need like to be able to have them on set. It was nearly a seven or eight day turnaround. Whereas usually in normal world, um, you'd fly them over today they'd go for their fitting tomorrow and then they could be shooting the following day so it's like a two to three day turnaround whereas with the COVID what we'd have to do is they would have to come they'd have to isolate there would then be an isolation time so they weren't allowed to go see anyone they had to go into their own little apartment have food delivered to them and they were in their little isolation period at that point after once again they tested and tested clear then you're into scenarios where they're able to go have their fitting so the timelines became really problematic so therefore again At the moment, and it's eased up a little now, but then the the cast who were from the UK, you weren't able to just pop home at the weekends, which is something that people would have been used to, being able to do. So if you weren't filming maybe on the Monday, you'd have flown home for the weekend and just come back straight to work, back in on Monday and you're ready for Tuesday. Whereas all of that went out the window, people ended up, once you were here, obviously, unless you were like a month apart, but if you were here filming, even if you had a day or two off, there really wasn't likely you would have been able to just suddenly fly back to the UK. And even then, if if you had extras or if we had to suddenly change things, all of the extras all had to be tested as a lead-in prior to fittings at the lead-in prior to their shoot days. So, again, it became, again, layers, as you said, layers and layers of paperwork, mm-hmm. coordination, coordination with the COVID team, coordination with our ADs, our extras coordinator. It, it became a whole, it was like another whole layer, as you said, mm-hmm. that just added to the the effort that had everyone had to partake in. Do you know what I mean? And added yes. to all the timelines, made everything more arduous. And you couldn't just quickly flick And Mm. say we want to do something else tomorrow because you would then have to have every all the people tested. You know,
1: can I take you back to the late nineties? I think one of your first. Now correct me if I'm wrong One of your first gigs In the industry Would that have been As a production assistant On Saving Private Ryan Would you have been down In, in Wexford Working on that
2: So uh, yeah That was I got very lucky I had been away Travelling for years I wasn't really A film industry person I wasn't in film college um, And I ended up Coming back home To Ireland And I got to work with uh, Karen Richards um, and she was going on to, I'd done one job with her, a thing called the Ambassador with Pauline Collins, a long, long time ago. And then she was actually involved in Saving Private Ryan and she rang me and asked me about I'd come on the project with her. So I was actually as a trainee AD and I worked at the base with Karen for, um, uh, Adam Goodman was the the key second and Karen at that time was sort of dealing with all the citizens and crowd, et cetera. And luckily, what happened was I kind of became an integral part of the running of the base. And it meant I got to go then to the UK, um, which a lot of the crew from the Irish production didn't go because they had a whole UK crew over there that they were going to use but because I'd been sort of at the base with all the cast putting them all through the works I knew all their timelines I knew the whole sort of running of the system it sort of meant I became like sort of Adam's right hand person and he was like she has to come to the UK so that worked out fantastically for me and it was a fantastic again for an early job getting in the industry it was an amazing one obviously to be on do you know what I mean it was it was amazing to see it and, and the scale of what it was and how between Stephen, Ian Bryce, all the, you know, the camera, how it was all done. It was like a major learning curve. So, it was, yeah. It was.
1: What is that like? Though? Did you get to be close to Spielberg while he was shooting to see exactly how he conducted and orchestrated the set?
2: Yes. I mean, I, I would end up on set quite a few times up with the cast, working out some various things on behalf of Adam, who was the second, Um, but predominantly I was more at the base, uh, as I said, more with the cast than up on set. But I mean, again, I was on set a lot of the time and got to see the whole scenario and yeah, exactly the methods and the... The sequencing of how he works things out, which is impressive and amazing.
1: You've done so much, Gail, like location manager, extra coordinator, First AD. Like, you know, you've been so busy and been able to flip between high-end television drama. For anyone that's listening and that will be intrigued about the, the role of First AD, that's something I'd love to try and pursue. For anyone listening, what advice would you offer them?
2: To get into the industry, if it's, you think it's something you want to do, first and foremost, just to let you know it's... The hours are extremely long. And once you're working, you're working. You don't really get to see all your pals and friends and family. But then the good benefit of it is you when you're off, you can take some time out and have a bit of normal time off that other people just maybe only have a two-week period off. And the other thing about the industry is you're kind of only as good as your last job. So the most important thing I'd say is make contacts <laughs> touch base with ADs and um, Screen Guild Ireland have training programs etc for all sorts of departments whether you're ADs or you want to be in our department set deck camera so Screen Guild Ireland is a fantastic place to start and they're running courses all the time they've got the Passport to Production which they set up and we then even last year took people out on our projects from that and um, but again it's making contact with people Try get yourself out as a you know, even if it's a work experience, just to meet if it, for instance, if it's in the AD department, to meet other ADs. And then if you know, you if you've left there and you then contact those people and say, Hi, I'm the person that came out as work experience. You know, could you keep me in mind for a position if you need somebody out as a daily? A daily is somebody, if we've got bigger days where we need additional crew, mm-hmm. we take additional trainees out on daily work you know and that's a great way to build up experience is to get yourself out on dailies first and then then people go oh my god do you know what that guy gordon he was brilliant so we'll call him again yes. and again it is very much you're as good as your last job and you need to be absorbing keen asking the questions the most important thing i always say to every trainee is there's no such thing as a stupid question so yes. it's it's all about really making contacts and it's, it is doable it's very
1: doable. Well, that's great advice. And if you can get yourself on a set, absolutely, and be like a sponge and soak up as much information as you can. Gail Munley, thank you so much for your for your time and uh telling us it gives us great insight into your work on redemption and how you started in the industry. It's a fantastic story, Gail, and that advice as well. I people will really appreciate that. Thank you so much.
2: No problem. Did your mom ever mention me? Sometimes, yeah.
0: She said you threw her out of home when she was 17. I looked
1: for her for years. She didn't want to be found.
0: So you just gave up on her? I tried everything. She just disappeared.
1: And that's it for the first episode of Hooked on Redemption. A big thanks to Metropolitan Films, Tall Story Pictures and Virgin Media Television. The podcast was presented and produced by me, Gordon Hayden. We'll be back next week with a deep dive into episode two. Plus, we'll be speaking to Redemption's creator, Sean Cook. And if you're a Virgin Media customer, you can binge all the episodes now on Virgin Media More. Until next time, this is...